It's crazy what people will do in order to be known as the greatest. They will jump, flip, run on all fours, hurdle with flippers on, smash stuff with their head or their hands, contort their body in mad ways, all just to gain that world record. So they can call themselves the best at something. And this desire to be seen as the greatest is a force that drives people to succeed in many different areas of life. In sport, in education, in politics, and in business. The business professor Jeffrey Pfeffer, he said this, Leaders are not modest. And more importantly, research on narcissism and self-promotion shows that these qualities and behaviours are useful in getting hired, Achieving promotions, keeping one's job, and obtaining a higher salary. In other words, if you want to get ahead in life, then you need to let everyone know just how great you are. But what about God's kingdom? Is this supposed to be the driving force of our lives? Are we supposed to just long to be known as the greatest? Are we supposed to just fit into this world of self-promotion and self-interest? Well, let's read from John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3 and verse 22, down to the end of the chapter. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising near Enon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him.
the disciples of John the Baptist were feeling a little bit jealous. For a time, their man had been the most famous preacher in the area. But when Jesus appeared on the scene, things began to change. Jesus also started teaching people about the kingdom of God. He even started baptizing, although chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So in a sense, the disciples of John the Baptist should have been delighted. More people were hearing about God, and more people's lives were being transformed. That should have been cause for celebration. But instead, these disciples were jealous. And it flared up when an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, we don't know who this guy was, who this Jew was, or what his argument was. But he may have been questioning the validity of John's teaching and the necessity of his baptism. Especially, now this new guy was on the, on the scene. Surely John and his whole ministry was now unnecessary. Out of favour. Out of date. Heading for obscurity. And so hurt and angry, John's disciples came to John and complained. Rabbi, the man who was with you, On the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. I think if we're honest, we can see where they're coming from, can't we? John was here first. He'd started this movement. He was the, the pioneer. He was the more mature preacher. What right did this younger guy have to come and try and take over what they had worked so hard to achieve? So they were jealous for their leader, for their teacher. And probably a bit for their own prominence too as as John the Baptist's disciples. And unfortunately, that kind of complaint is all too common. Rivalry and jealousy has plagued God's people right down through the generations. You see, in the Old Testament, way back in the book of Genesis, after the very first act, recorded act of worship, Cain became jealous when the Lord looked on favor, with favour on Abel and his offering. Then later on in the wilderness, we have Miriam and Aaron who were jealous of the unique role and ministry of Moses, their younger brother. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they said? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Then King Saul, remember King Saul? How jealous he was when people praised the achievements of David more highly than his. And so from that on, King Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And then when we get into the New Testament, things don't really change that much. Jesus' own disciples fought over position and prestige. So in Luke 9 it says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them 
would be the greatest. And then the mum of James and John got in in the act. Tried to acquire the best seats in the kingdom for her two sons. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right right, and the other at your left in your kingdom. And it didn't even stop there with the disciples. It carried on into the early church. So Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit with disastrous consequences because they longed to be seen as more generous than they actually were. Then Paul, he said that some preached Christ out of envy and rivalry. Especially when Paul was in prison. They thought, great, that's an opportunity. We can step into the space that he has left and we can take the limelight. The church in Corinth. Well, that was an absolute mess of a church. Because it was full of jealousy and quarreling over their favourite celebrity preacher. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And another, I follow Christ. And then John himself, in his third letter, he wrote about a guy called Diotrephes. Who loves to be first. Down through the centuries, rivalry and jealousy has plagued God's people. And I don't think things have changed that much either. Churches are often places of jealousy and conflict and competition as people fight for position and prestige either within their church Or between churches in an area. Sadly, Christians still fight over who is going to be the greatest. But both Jesus and John the Baptist refused to get involved in this fight. When Jesus heard about this potential rivalry, chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. In part, this seems to be mean because Jesus so deeply respected and honoured and loved John the Baptist and his ministry that he refused to compete with him. He wasn't going to get in the way. So he just removed himself from that situation and went somewhere else. And in a similar way, John refused to enter into this competition. His attitude is what's encapsulated in verse 30 of our chapter. John, speaking about Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. John was not jealous of the success of Jesus and neither was he worried about his own declining popularity. Instead, he was committed to shrinking into the background so that Jesus could take the attention. And in our lives, that same principle must apply. God's kingdom is not supposed to be filled with celebrities who are fighting for fame or fortune. Instead, God's kingdom is supposed to be filled with servants who are eager to step 
to the side so that Jesus can take center stage. This is something that Jesus criticized the Pharisees for refusing to do. The Pharisees, they dressed to impress. They took the most important seats in the synagogue or at banquets. They worked for titles and for adulation. They wanted people to, to admire them and to, 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 to greet them in the street with all the titles and all the praise. But Jesus said that there will be no titles, no hierarchy in the church. In his church. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 23. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. You're all the same. So don't have titles, don't have hierarchy. Because you've got one Lord, one teacher, one master, one father. In our lives, Jesus must become greater and we must become less. But why? Why is that the case? Why do we need to do this? Why was John the Baptist so willing to lose his prominence in the work of God's kingdom and let Jesus take his place? Well, one of the first reasons was because he believed that God was in charge. Look at verse 27. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. John realized that Jesus' ministry, the role that Jesus had, had been given to him by God. And so John shouldn't be jealous of it. Because God is sovereign over his kingdom. So it's God's right to give different roles to each of his people. And it is God's right to work in different ways in each of our lives. So if God chooses to bless one person's ministry or heal somebody's body or grow somebody's church then we have no right to complain if God doesn't do the same in our lives. Because God is sovereign. It's God's right to give or not to give. It's God's right to call or not to call. For example, when it comes to spiritual gifts, those abilities in order that God gives us in order to serve him in the church. Paul says this, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So our role is not to jealously long for what that person has. It's not our job to sit here and say, oh, I wish I had the gift of leading worship. That's terrible. How come they got that job and we didn't? Or how, did, how come I didn't have to get the gift to be able to go and work with the kids and I have to come sit here with and listen to, to me? It's terrible, isn't it? Our role is, our, our role is not to jealously long for somebody else's role. 
and said, our job is to accept the role that God has given to us and to use that gift to the glory of God. So first of all, we must become less because God is in charge, not us. Secondly, John was willing to become less because of who Jesus is. Once again, John showed that he had a clear understanding of the, the person and the preeminence of Jesus. He said to his disciples, verse 28, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. John was always clear about his identity. Remember we saw that in, in earlier chapters of this, this, this gospel. John knew that he was not the Christ. He knew that he was not the Messiah, the anointed one, the the one that God had chosen to fulfill this role in his kingdom. Instead, John knew that his role was to prepare the way for the Messiah's coming and to point people to him. Remember, Luke, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John said here, I'm, in John chapter 1, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. And so if John's role was to prepare the way for the Lord to come and point people to him so that they would follow the Lord Jesus, then why would he be annoyed when people listened to him and did what he was asking them to do and followed Jesus and not followed him. Why would he be jealous when people started to follow Jesus instead of him? Why would he not just celebrate and say, job done? John illustrated this with a picture of a bridegroom and his friend. We saw a few weeks ago that the Bible often pictures the relationship between God and his people like a a husband and a wife, or a bride and a bridegroom. For example, in Isaiah 54, your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. And John said here, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And when he was saying that, he was meaning Jesus. The bride belongs to Jesus. Because Jesus is the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom and the community of God's people is the bride. It's again a clear pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. Pointing to the fact of the deity of Jesus. But it also points to the role that John had. Verse 29, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits for him and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Goes back to the kind of the traditions of the Jewish wedding ceremony. This friend was, a, was an assistant who presented the bride to, the, to the, her groom and kind of presided over the, the wedding ceremony. But this friend, this friend knew his place. He knew that the wedding wasn't all about him. He was just there as an assistant. When his job was done, he could step back and rejoice that the bride had been united to her bridegroom. Because that's what the wedding was all about. 
And John saw himself as, as that was his role. He had prepared the way for Jesus. But now that Jesus was here, he wasn't jealous, he wasn't resentful. Instead, he could take a step back and rejoice that his work had been done. That joy is mine. And it's now complete. Because the bride, God's people, had been united to her groom, Jesus. And this truth of the supremacy of Jesus is repeated in, the first, in that final section of our passage uh, from verse 31 down to verse 36. There's some arguments uh, among people about who actually said or wrote that. Some people think it's John the Baptist continuing to say those verses. Other people say, no, they've been added by John, the author, the apostle. But it also declares the preeminence of Jesus. That Jesus is first. And it gives a number of reasons why Jesus is first. Why he should become greater. So verse 31 says, The one who comes from above is above all. John the Baptist was an amazing prophet. But in the end, John the Baptist was just another human being. He was just an ordinary bloke. But Jesus is greater. And his ministry is greater. Because Jesus is from heaven. His source points to the fact that he is first and he is greater. And so because when Jesus comes and he speaks of heavenly, heavenly realities, he's speaking about what he has seen, what he has heard. His words go beyond what anybody else says. His words surpass that of any other teacher. Verse 34 says, The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. When Jesus spoke... He spoke the words of God. So whatever anyone else has to say, however clever or helpful those words appear, we always need to give priority to the words and teachings of Jesus. As recorded in the Gospels, and also declared by the apostles in the epistles of the New Testament. Because the one who came from above, the one who came from heaven, is above all. So when it's a, a debate about whether we're going to listen to some teacher, or we're going to listen to the words of Jesus, it should be obvious who we're going to listen to. It should be Jesus' truth as declared by the apostles in the Gospels and the epistles, it should be Jesus' truth that comes first. And of course, Jesus came from heaven because he is different from every other person. He is none other than the Son of God. Verse 35, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. This is the unique identity of Jesus. This is John's purpose in writing this gospel. This is the real core of the truth that he wants all of us to really get. That Jesus is the Son of God. 
equal with the Father, filled with the Spirit without limit, eternally loved, with God's authority over everything. Jesus is above all. This is so crucial for us to remember. It should be so it should be so obvious to us in a sense we shouldn't have to even mention it, but sometimes we lose sight of this. So we need to remember that Jesus is above all. So whatever role or responsibility we have in our church, the church does not belong to us. This is not our church. This church is not about us. This church belongs to Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the bridegroom. He is the one from heaven. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the head. So he must become greater. As Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. We must not try and take his place. We must not try and fall into the trap of of fighting for position or prestige. Instead, we need to be committed to making Jesus everything in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, and calling this world to do the same. Because Jesus is above all. So listen to what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We do not preach ourselves. Paul didn't go around talking about himself. So people thought, oh wow, Paul's a great guy. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what we're called to. Because of who Jesus is, he must become greater. And we must become less. But in this passage, there's one final reason why we must do this. And that's because of what only Jesus can do. Look at verse 36, please. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now I know that talking about God's wrath is not popular these days. It seems cruel and unfair to most people, but God's wrath is not a grumpy temper, a grumpy nature, a bad temper. Rather, it's a settled and perfectly righteous hatred of evil and it's his anger towards sin because it's wrong because it's a rebellion against his glory and because it robs us of so much and causes pain to so many and so this is an essential character characteristic of God's character how could a perfectly loving and holy God 
Look out in a world of selfishness and violence and greed and corruption and abuse and exploitation and just remain indifferent. How can you look at this world and just shrug his shoulders? Just brush it all under the carpet. Who cares? That's all right. How can he not respond with indignation and fury at what he sees? How could he not punish the guilty? And yet God still loves sinners like us. And he wants us to be saved. But how would that be possible? How could God at the same time be just and also justify the guilty? How could he punish sin and at the same time Forgive sinners. Well, the only answer is Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. At the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took that punishment that we deserved. He suffered the wrath that rightly should have been poured out on us. And so through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. And so through trusting in Him, we are declared righteous. So it's only through accepting Jesus as our Savior can we experience life. In his letter, John wrote this, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this is the final reason why we need to step out of the limelight. Because we can't pay the price for sin. We can't rescue anybody from the coming wrath. We can't give eternal life. We can't save anybody. Only Jesus can. And so compared to some people, We might think we look pretty good. With dedication, with commitment, we might be able to achieve things that other people can only dream of. In this world, we might receive recognition and praise. But in God's kingdom, there's no place for pride, or boasting, or jealousy, or competition, or self-promotion. In the light of God's total sovereignty. In the light of Jesus' unique identity. In the light of the amazing gift of salvation that comes only through Jesus. The only proper response is for us to refuse to compete. To get out of the way. And let Jesus take center stage. The only proper response is for us to see he must become greater and I must become less.